You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. And in today's show, you're going to be hearing from Rob Stevens. He is a trainer and he's an author of my favorite and the book for learning how to understand the mining sector and the basic geological uh, ideas and principles for interpreting exploration company drill hole results. Uh, This book was recommended to me many years ago when I was in the PDA bookstore, PDAC bookstore, that big mining conference. And this has been a book that I pull out on a monthly basis, literally. I'll be reading through a press release and I don't know what I'm reading because I've never had any formal training in geology. And I go back to this book, look at the glossary, read, go to the topic, uh, topic and chapters and go read about what the, this press release is talking about. So I do recommend that. There'll be a link to that in the show notes. Also, Rob is offering my listeners a discount on some of his upcoming courses. So we'll be talking about that at the end of this interview. But Rob, welcome back onto the show. I think it's been about 18 months or so since you were on the show. And could you walk us through, this will be a little less of an interview, if you could do a presentation and kind of walk us through how to interpret, in a basic sense, exploration company drill results. Sure. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Bill. Uh, it's my pleasure to uh, to join you again, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to to chat with your listeners and with the pump for my book. That's uh, always nice. Um, and uh, you know, I really wrote that for uh, people who are interested in the sector as investors or working in the sector. And there is so much terminology, as you said, uh, it can be tricky. And and you know, talking about news releases, I I often when I'm looking at them, I see all sorts of geological terms in there. Uh, which I'm sure for many investors are just, you know, goes right over them. And some of them are really important, not all of them, though. So uh, some of them are there maybe to impress the other geologists that are around. I don't know. But um, yeah, news releases of drill results. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I think uh, for expiration uh, plays and, and for junior companies, uh, the release of results from drilling uh, is really the most important, uh, you know, first step that they are taking in terms of advancing that project. Uh, there can be lots of work that's done before that, uh, mapping, soil sampling, those kinds of things that, that, that are really important to the geologists and help them define those drill targets. Uh, but I think from an investor point of view, it's really uh, the results from drilling that are the most meaningful and that Give you a sense of whether that company has, has actually uh, found something. Uh, so I, I want to just step through a couple of things that I would recommend for investors if they're, you know, they come across a news release of drilling. Uh, well, okay, so how do I dig into that? How do I understand what it is that that company has actually is actually presenting in that news release? So the first thing that I always like to say is <clears throat> is to say, okay, well what was the reason for for the drilling in the first place? Um, and, and to sort of categorize these uh, the drill results in terms of why they drilled. And, and I really break that down into three different uh, reasons for drilling. Uh, what I call discovery drilling, expansion drilling, and then infill drilling. So discovery drilling is kind of as it sounds. Uh, that's usually the first few holes uh, into a new project uh, uh, or maybe the extension of an existing project uh, that really um, are aimed to see, do we have something in the ground here? Do we have a uh, potential gold deposit or, or copper deposit? 
Uh, and that can be one of the most exciting um, set of drill results that come out from a company. Um, you know, they've probably done lots of work to define those drill targets. Now they've drilled it. And if they get some good results, um, it can be big for the market. It can certainly move that market up. Uh, can propel that company forward to to the next stage. Uh, of course, you know results aren't always good. So I would say one thing with the discovery phase is often the market hasn't moved very much. People are waiting for those initial drill results. Um, if you see them and they're good, it's time to get in. If they're not so good, the company may not fall back all that much because often they haven't moved yet uh, because people are waiting for those drill results. So that's the first one. The next one is expansion. So after a company has made a discovery, which might be, say, half a dozen or 10 holes or even a few more initially, now they're going to try to see how big is this thing. So um, if that's what they're releasing, that's kind of the next phase and can also be really exciting from a market point of view. They're drilling out a long strike, down dip or at depth to see how big it is. Um, and uh, again, I've seen in many cases where there's a series over several months of these uh, releases that come out for expansion, and you can see a lot of, uh, of increase in the market from that as well. The one uh, maybe caveat I would put on that one is that you do see for really interesting projects that the market almost gets ahead of some of those releases. So, you know, you have a discovery news release, then maybe you have three or four or even less uh, showing expansion that are very promising, the market can move up pretty high at that point. And I've seen cases where companies continue to expand their deposit with good results, and you don't see much movement on the market because it's already being built in. So that's something to, for an investor to keep their eye on is, is uh, you know, if there isn't much reaction to those results, you know, the, the anticipation of good results is already built in. And of course, there's that downside. If suddenly the expansion stops, the deposit closes off, you know, that can have a drop down on the, uh, on the market. And then the last reason for drilling is what I call infill drilling. So that's more of what I would say is technical drilling. Um, once you've discovered it and expand it, now you need to understand that deposit. If you're going to ultimately do a resource estimate, a grade and tonnage estimate, you really need to understand it. So that means you now need to tighten up your drill hole spacing. And you need to drill a whole bunch of holes really in between those that you've already drilled. So technically really important, but in a way what it's doing is confirming what we already know. I mean, for the geologists, they need that information, but for the investor, it's not necessarily uh, making it bigger or, or better or anything like that. And so you don't see a lot of star, uh, movement on the market often uh, with the, re the release of infill drilling. You know, it's not always the case, of course. So that's the first thing I would do. What is the reason for drilling? And then to think about it uh, in that, that context. So, um, so that would be the first one I would say. The next one is then, okay, so looking at the actual results themselves, the next thing is what are the, uh, what are the drill intervals or the length and the grade of the significant results that have come out? Um, and and, you know, so that can vary all over the map from little tiny, you know, half meter intersections to some that are hundreds of meters long. And and so it can be a bit sort of confusing how to interpret that. So what I always like to tell people is is to sort of step back and, and think about, well, what is that deposit that they're drilling into? What is its shape and its size in particular? Um, if you can get a bit of a vision or view in your mind of what it is they're exploring for, 
uh, then you should have a sense of, well, how long should these drill intersections be and what is the grade? Um, and you, you, know, you mentioned one of my courses. One of the things that I really like to emphasize in the course is, is showing a lot of models and visualization so people can start to get a better idea of what these bodies of mineralized rock with gold or copper in it actually look like. And I can, you can define end members. Um, maybe the first one I would say is narrow high grade. That's very common in gold. So you don't need hundreds of meters of drill intersection. You might only need three, four, five meters, maybe a little bit more. If you've got good grades, um, you know, several grams per ton or more, uh, that's a meaningful intersection. Um, and so you get these sort of narrow vein or high grade uh, type deposits. The kind of other end of the spectrum is something like a porphyry copper deposit, which tends to be large, big tonnage and low grade. If you only had a few meter intersection and a porphyry copper, that wouldn't really be meaningful at all. What you're looking for is tens, really hundreds of meters of intersection, but very low grades. I mean, you might have a third of a percent copper and a half a gram per ton gold or something like that. But if it's a big intersection, uh, then that's meaningful as well. So um, I think you always need to look at those sort of length of the intersection and the grade that that really helps people to, uh, you know, to put that into some sort of category. Now, if you want to go further than that, um, and then this is getting more geological and more technical, is really understanding the type of deposit that they are drilling into. And I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, but, you know, if you don't um, know that geology so well, I think you can still understand it and assess it just by thinking of the sort of shape of the deposit they're targeting. Is it a high-grade thing? Is it a low-grade thing? You know, you can start to assess that without knowing really details of the of the deposit types um, helpful as that is i don't want to discourage people from you know learning a little bit about uh, different uh, deposit types one thing i would also say just from a kind of a learning point of view are our maps and sections so some people are really familiar at looking at maps and sections and they can get a lot of information out of that really quickly i always remember the phrase and i'm probably going to get it wrong here but a picture is worth thousand words or something like that, or maybe it's a million, I don't know. Um, I always go to the maps and sections and they can really help you to know, to see where the drilling is, to see you know, what they intersected at depth. Uh, they often all, all also show you the drilling that's already been done or planned drill holes. So I, I really encourage people to take the time to review maps and sections. Uh, if you find them a bit confusing, stick with it. And, and bit by bit, you will start to be able to gather more information out of that. And of course, taking a, a course can also uh, help as well. Um, maybe one of the next things I would say is about the depth of the drill hole intersection. Um, you know, as most of your listeners will know, there's surface mining and there's underground mining. Um, and so the depth of the drill hole intersection, and that's really where does it start? You know, where, how far below the surface does that mineralized intersection start? If it starts near surface, so I would say within a few tens of meters uh, of the surface, uh, then you have the opportunity for an open pit mine. Um, and open pit mines are less cost uh, to produce. Um, they are more productive. You can have a lot higher tonnage production um, and therefore lower grades. 
So you can afford to have a quite a lower grade intersection for a near surface uh, intersection. If it's deeper, so you know, greater than a few tens of meters, uh, and you know, and really going down below 100 meters or more, um, it's quite likely that that's going to have to be an underground deposit, and so, or sorry, an underground mine. Uh, in which case, you're going to need higher grades, uh, and maybe just as a ballpark in the gold world, I could, you know, just drawing on existing mines. In surface mines, or there are existing mines in gold that are less than a gram per ton, even half a gram per ton. Uh, for large open pit mines, and their profitability comes from the volume that they're producing. Right, they're only getting a little profit per ton, but they're moving a lot of tonnage through uh, that production. Underground gold mines, you know, probably we're wanting looking at five grams per ton or or, or more, uh, and they'll have much lower production rates. So I always like to look at existing mines, and that helps me to benchmark what I might be looking for uh, from the expiration. Uh, side of it. So anything less than a gram near surface, or let me say anything more than a gram near surface is worth having your eye on. Uh, deeper down than that, anything five plus grams, um, certainly worth looking at uh, as well. Um, and I say that while respecting the fact that there's lots of variables for a mine. It's just not grade, as, as I'm sure many of your listeners know. So, uh, But you know, it's nice to be able to look at grade and, and get a sense of that as well. Um, then maybe uh, what I would say is, uh, okay, so you've had a chance now, you, you, you understand why they're drilling, uh, you've looked at the intervals and the lengths, uh, the grades, that kind of thing, you know how deep they're drilling. Um, now you need to say, okay, well, where are they in the sort of expiration cycle? And that means go back, see what they've already done, and more importantly, what's coming up. Um, so. Uh, as we know in the junior sector in particular, promotion is really important. I mean, there's a lot of junior companies out there and they need to be able to get their story out there and talk about it. And the best way of doing that is with news flow. So if I look forward and I say, wow, those are some pretty good results, but it's the very last um, release from a drill program. You know, there's not another program starting for who knows, maybe next year or something like that. Uh, okay, well, there's not going to be a lot of news flow, or they're just going to be recycling news. So that makes me think, um, you know, there's not going to be a lot of new, interesting new information that would draw in investors. If, however, it's, you know, just midway through a, a big drill program, you know, there's going to be lots more results coming out. There's going to be news flow. Hopefully, some of that news is good. Uh, that's something that I like to look at, too, uh, just to, you know, keep your eye on that. Um, I think it's always worth looking at trends in commodities. I mean, I've talked about just about gold, but uh, of course, there's lots of commodities out there. I mean, copper is a very interesting one right now. And, and you know, we're seeing it being a little bit volatile because of that. Um, copper for a low carbon future is anticipated to be huge demand. Uh, so it runs up and then it pulls back a bit, but it depends on your investment view, right? If you've got a short-term view, well, you could look at commodity cycles in the short term, but if you've got a medium term view, I mean, things like copper are definitely worth looking at because of uh, anticipated strong demand. So seeing the trends in the commodity uh, uh, flow and, and, and of course, that's not always so easy, especially with gold. As you know, it's very hard to predict exactly where gold is going, but uh, as an individual investor, you may have a sense of that and or you may have a sense of other commodities. If you like a commodity, 
follow it. I mean, that's the, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that you should be doing. And maybe the last thing I would just talk about beyond the real technical geology, you know, geochemistry, those kinds of things are social and environmental aspects. Uh, you know, those have long been very important in the industry. They're ever increasing in terms of uh, the importance to have, um, you know, be very sound in your environmental performance and to have uh, good uh, relationships um, with communities and, and governments and regions and where you work. Uh, so I think that uh, as you're kind of looking at the company or the project as a whole is, is to get a sense of that. Are, are there some red flags when it comes to uh, environmental concerns? Um, you know, is it in a region that generally supports mining or has had a history of blockades? Uh, everybody's got a different view of that. Uh, I mean, I live in British Columbia and you'll certainly hear people say, oh, there's no point in exploring there. Um, whereas other people feel it's it's the place to go. So Again, every investor will have their view on that, but I do think that social and environmental issues are going to be, are, and continue to be really important, um, as we've seen with the rise of ESG and, and investing. So I do think that that's important to do a little bit of assessment on that, and is it a good jurisdiction to work in, uh, and and are there any serious um, environmental, you know, kind of concerns that you'd want about, uh, or that you'd be concerned about. And maybe just the last one uh, on this, and and you know this is one that uh, a lot of uh, analysts certainly you would hear them say is is about the management of the company. So this isn't specific to the drill release itself, but uh, you, you know there's a lot of knowledge and experience out there that a good management team um, really has the ability to find good projects, to fund those projects. And to execute them and build the partnerships to to make that a success. And so finding management teams or looking at management teams that are experienced um, and and have done it before, um, you know, that's great. Now, I wouldn't ignore ones with less experienced or management teams that you don't know. Uh, To be honest, I tend to get interested in a project because of the project. Usually I come across a release or something then I go in and I start saying, okay, well, who's running this company? And maybe I don't know them and uh, that doesn't immediately shut me down. But if I do know them and I know they've had good experience and success, then that's certainly one uh, that I would follow. And then just the financial state of the company. And I really, where I'd put that from, how much money do they have and can they raise more? Um, Because juniors need cash uh, to explore so that they can drill and they can release results. You know, we're in a pretty good position right now in the market. Um, A lot of money has been raised, so that's great. There's going to be continued news flow coming out. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that the conditions for raising more money will continue to be good. But um, if they become very difficult and the company is kind of out of money with this press release on drill results, then, you know, they're, they're going to be challenged to raise more or they may have serious dilution in raising money. And, uh, you know, that's something to, to keep your eye uh, on to as well. So, so there's kind of some technical things and some more sort of, uh, you know, social, environmental, management, financial things you can look at as well that, that um, I suggest, you know, investors sort of take a, a bit of a systematic approach to, to going through uh, uh, news releases, uh, especially on drilling. So, Bob, Thank you for that overview. Uh, are there any tips you can give my audience as they're looking for the next exploration company that could be on the verge of a discovery? 
Like what tips should they look for in press releases? Maybe that discovery hole hasn't been announced, but maybe some other information has been given to the market via press release. What should they look out for? Yeah. Okay. Good, good question. I mean, that's, that's a really uh, a sweet spot to be in is to, to find um, uh, uh, projects that are hopefully on the cusp of discovery. Um, arguably, that's what everybody wants to look at. And you will see companies release all sorts of geological information, things like soil sampling. They'll talk about alteration. I was looking at one this morning. It was talking about Oh, they've discovered this caldera, which is a type of volcanic structure that is common to host uh, some types of gold deposits. So all that's great, but it doesn't really, you know, as an investor, tell you all that much. The one that I would always sort of suggest and recommend people have their eye on uh, are trenching results. Um, So companies, um, when they are doing their surface work, um, as they're trying to understand the project and really define drill targets, they'll they'll do trenching. So they'll maybe little pits or they'll actually dig some trenches right down into the bedrock, sample that bedrock, see what the results are, and then that guides their next decision. What I like about it is they're sampling rock. They're not sampling soils or stream sediment. Those are important activities, but they're not the rock that you're going to mine. And what I have seen on several occasions is companies will release trenching results uh, over a pretty good area, you know, so they'll have a whole series of trenches over several hundred meters or, or maybe even a, a bigger area than, than that. And those trench results are good. Um, and so what I see is the market, okay, you can see the chart and, you know, soil and stream sediments does nothing. Trench results, you get just that little uptick. Investors sort of, okay. They've sampled rock. They've got some good results over a pretty good area. That's meaningful. Um, And then, of course, they're going to start to drill it. Now, from a geological point of view, I sort of say to myself, well, if they've got pretty good trench results over, you know, several hundred meters, um, maybe in a few directions, geologically, it makes sense that that mineralization continues down into the ground. I mean, what are the odds to me geologically that it's just a narrow you know, near surface um, zone. Uh, it's certainly it's possible and it definitely has happened. But I would say the odds tip in your favor that if they've got a big area of mineralization on the surface, more often than not, that's going to go down into the ground. They're going to target their drill results uh, or their drill holes around where those good results are um, were found in trenching. And that leads to pretty good odds that the initial drilling will probably be good because it's essentially following right below those surface um, results. So again, you see a little uptick in the market when the trench results come out, and then it goes once the drilling comes out because that's what people are really paying attention to. They want to see those drill results. So, you know, there's something to get your eye into, trenching in particular. Um, I don't want to belittle the other work, geological, soil sampling, et cetera. All of that's important too and worth keeping your eye on to, so that you're sort of prepped and ready to maybe move on, on some things. But um, trenching is one uh, that, that I think is a, a worthwhile, um, uh, the results from that are definitely worth paying attention to in advance of that not drilling coming forward. When it comes to what mineral exploration companies put in their press releases or intentionally leave out what they don't say, what are some red flags that listeners should look for? Right. Yeah. Good point. Um, uh, that's, you know, comes back to the promotional part. It, it's good and it's important, but um, sometimes it can get a little bit, um, uh, 
overdone and uh, and isn't so meaningful. Uh, so one of the first ones I would just say, is it new news or is it recycled? Um, especially when it comes to drilling. I've seen examples where, you know, there's a whole table of drill results um, showing some really great results. But what you find is it's only the two holes at the bottom that didn't have any results that are actually new. The rest of them have already been released. Um, so it's not, it's not, it's not a incorrect information. It's just that that's already out there and people have already acted on that. So uh, that's a little bit about knowing, as I said, you know, looking back a little bit at where they are to get to now, uh, as well as forward. So have they already released those results? So that's that's a pretty uh, straightforward one. I think on gold, one of the real challenges with gold is what we refer to as the nugget effect. And what that um, is from a geological point of view, is there's, there's many types of gold deposits in which the gold itself... Uh, I mean, it's not a nugget like you would see from a, a placer mine, like a big piece of gold. The term nugget effect in this sense means that the gold tends to be spotty or patchy. It's concentrated in little pieces throughout the rock. It's not evenly distributed. What that means is that when a company drills down through it, if they happen to go through in that you know small drill hole, because drill holes aren't very big, they go through a patch of of rock that has the gold in it, they make it these incredibly high results. But if they were to drill half a meter over, they might hit almost no gold. And that's the, the nature of this kind of nuggety effect uh, to the gold. Um, so I would be, you know, really high grade flashy intersections. They look great, but they may not be very meaningful. So I would just, I would caution that and, 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 you know, don't sell the house over a super high grade um, um, number that's released. The other thing is, is what they'll do is they, you know, they, so they had this super high grade intersection that was maybe only 10 centimeters long and they'll, and then they had little bits of gold much lower over the next 10 or 15 meters. They'll average it over the whole 15 meters. When you take that super high number and you average it over 15 meters, you still get a good number. And so now they're saying, oh, we've got you know this amount of gold over 15 meters. You're going, wow, that's really good. But what actually it really represents is a super high grade number over 10 centimeters or 15 centimeters, followed by maybe sub-economic numbers um, after that. Um, and so how do you know that? Uh, you know, you got to read through what the company says. If they have put out tables of their assay results, which a number of companies do, and I think is a, a really good disclosure, um, you know, activity, and then you can look at them and look at each individual one and see, you know, uh, and I've seen a number of examples on that. So just, I guess my, you know, if it's gold and they're, and they do reference nuggety effects, then that's something to, to certainly keep your, uh, your eye on. Um, Last one, maybe I'd just mention is metal equivalents. So what are metal equivalents? Um, and, and people will probably see this in a number of times when, when companies uh, release drill results or maybe a resource estimate, is that um, if you have a deposit that has multiple commodities, so let's say we've got gold, silver, copper, and zinc. So we've got four commodities in there. What they'll do is they will uh, convert the uh, grade results of, of those four commodities and they'll convert it into the equivalent for a single commodity. So um, they'll say may maybe they only had two grams per ton gold, but in gold equivalent, when you consider what the silver, copper, and zinc would be, you know, 
from a dollar point of view, if it was gold, they'll say, well, we actually have six grams per ton gold equivalent. Okay, so that's great. Um, and it's a valid thing to do. Companies do it all the time because it really helps to distill it down to a single number. People are much better at, at, at understanding single numbers, comparing one to the next. It's hard to do that with multiple numbers. My caution on that is that um, you may have gold, silver, copper, and zinc, but you're never going to be able to recover all of those metals at, to the same extent. Um, most people, when they do metal equivalents, they adjust for that. So they adjust and say, well, you know, we have all this zinc, but we're really only going to be able to recover half of it. So we shouldn't be including all that zinc into the gold equivalent, only half of it, because we're only going to be able to actually recover half of it. So it starts to get a little bit technical, but I just, I, you know, I, I caution a little bit on metal equivalents because um, if they have not been adjusted for variable recoveries that would realistically happen in a mining operation, uh, then, then they're not as meaningful as they should be. Now, I would say most companies do that. So um, I think you just want to see a little footnote that that usually has some sort of calculation. You know, metal equivalents were derived from, and and they have a little bit of a formula there. You know, then you can feel okay about that. But um, I do like metal equivalents. I think they're make they're an easy way to assess things. Uh, but but keep in mind, it's not a six gram per ton gold deposit, right? It's only a two gram per ton with these other commodities uh, in it. So, so there's a, maybe a, a couple of things just for people to, to keep their eye into um, as they're, they're looking at news releases. So. That's a great point. What about when you get an exploration company that doesn't just claim they found a deposit, but they claim they found a district, they, a region, you know, geologically we've uncovered this. I, I've observed this in the oil and gas space, as well as the gold space to where they say, it's not a deposit. It's Witzwater Rand 2.0. How do you interpret that? Uh, you know, you, I didn't mention in the introduction, but you have a PhD. You're a professional geologist. You're not just an author. How do you look at it? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, it, I guess there's a couple of things there. You know, people who talk about having founding a whole new uh, district. You know, certainly that's possible. I'm going to say we globally we've matured in exploration. Most jurisdictions have been tested to some reasonable degree. Um, you know, there's not that many district scales that are are ripe for, you know, discoveries across the whole uh, district. And, uh, and, you know, I, I caution saying that a little bit because <laughs> there is still new discoveries, of course, to be made in, in areas that we haven't been to before. Um, the other thing I would say if they've discovered a whole new district is, well, how do they get focused? Right. Sometimes that's a trouble. I, I mean, I've seen projects where they've got so many targets. Well, how do you prioritize? And they end up drilling huge numbers of targets, none of which end up all that great. Sometimes having a lot of targets is worse than only having a small number because at least you can focus your your activities. Uh, but the other, you know, comment would be: Have they discovered something new that's never been discovered before? Some brand new type of deposit, um, you know, especially in an area people have worked in. I would treat that one with caution. Um, you know, there's enough work in exploration and mining over the years. Uh, the likelihood of us discovering brand new, never seen before deposits um, seem to me unlikely, um, especially if they're spectacularly high grade. You know, Witzwaters ran is uh, in South Africa, just amazing gold mineralization there. Is there another one of those sitting somewhere ripe for the discovery? You know, I would be cautious about that. I think, um, you know, the old adage, if it seems like it's too good to be true, it 
probably is. So, um, you know, innovation is happening. Uh, it's not as if we can't make new discoveries and find new things, but I, I treat them with caution because there is a good solid database of science and geology behind mineral deposits. And we really know what most of them are, I, I, I would say, with our knowledge today. So. Excellent. Well, I asked Rob on the show today so you could hear more of the insights and, and the instruction that he has to offer, because many of you, in fact, I responded to an email today, asked me, Bill, I'm new to this. What book do I buy? The first one you want to buy is Rob's book. He also offers online training courses. There it is. There Mineral is Exploration and Mining Essentials. I have that. Uh, it's here in my office. I'd have to get up from this Maybe microphone. Maybe it was reversed on the screen. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we saw it. But okay. um, he also offers online training courses. I know some people like the training courses in addition to the book. So you can find information at miningessentials.com. And Rob, tell us what you have upcoming. And you said there would be a discount for my listeners. Yeah, yeah, I've got, uh, so I've been delivering, uh, you know, courses for the better part of 20 years uh, around my book on this topic to the investment community and, and the business community, um, you know, probably, uh, oh, and the many thousands of people anyway, uh, over the years. Uh, and of course, in this new sort of world that we're in now, I've been doing that uh, virtually. Um, and so I have a course coming up at the end of September, September 28th uh, to 30th. Uh, and the format that I'm using, it's going to be online. And the format I'm using is sort of a half day. So it's three half days. It's going to run from 12 to 4 uh, Eastern time on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the 28th to 30th of September. Um, I've had good feedback on that schedule. People seem to be able to sort of keep themselves engaged for that length of time um, uh, without making it a full day. Uh, and of course, it's accessible. So you don't have to travel anywhere uh, to, to come to that. So, uh, and yeah, for your listeners, um, if they're interested in that and they can get a link at miningessentials.com to the course registration, if you use the code mining education, all is one word, mining education, uh, there's a 15% discount uh, available uh, for that code. And um, if you forget the code and you're not sure, you can certainly email me, Rob at miningessentials.com and mention uh, Bill and, and I can uh, I can get you that code as well. But Mining Education will give you 15% off. And uh, I've done a whole bunch of these online now with some great feedback. Um, you'll hear stuff like I talked about today, but with lots of good visuals and videos. And I really make it an engaging uh, experience for people. So um yeah, I look forward to uh, to having some of your, your um, listeners uh, join. Excellent. Well, thank you, Rob. And I encourage you to go over there to miningessentials.com. This was not a sponsored interview. I brought Rob on the show because you don't want to just be given a fish, given a company name to invest in. You want to learn how to fish and to decipher the good from the bad. And that's where, especially if you're coming from outside the mining industry like me, uh, courses like this and what Rob has to offer are crucial and they can uh, really propel you along your journey as an investor, a resource investor. So again, Rob, thanks for coming on the show and I look forward to touching base with you again. Yeah, perfect. Thanks very much, Bill. I was uh, glad to be here. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. 
The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.